This is Robert Capuccio. Welcome to Transformation Unplugged, where we challenge conventional thinking and explore authentic strategies and insights around personal transformation. Our commitment to you is to connect you with some of the world's leading experts in health, fitness, and behavior change, separating fact from fallacy. To be unplugged means deciding to be unrestrained by the beliefs, expectation, and assumption of others. To make the declaration that only you can determine for yourself what the best version of you looks like based on what you authentically want and value most. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, this is Bobby Capuccio. Welcome to another episode of Transformation Unplugged. Let me talk to you a little bit about who our guests are for today and why I wanted to bring them on the podcast. These two guys travel the world through their company called Soma, and they basically cross the lines of neuroscience, epigenetics, functional anatomy, neurophysiology, and they explore the ways in which movement affect us biochemically, emotionally and therefore how they affect us behaviorally and how all of these factors together drive the level of success that we're able to achieve in multiple areas of health, fitness, and wellness. I met Rod Rod Korn, we'll start with, back in the 1990s. He was delivering a seminar, and he was like a genius on Adderall, and I mean that affectionately. He was really engaging, and I was impressed with his ability to take a large amount of information, curate it, and present it back within a model to the audience where it was easy for people to understand. And they were really engaged by it. And we went on to become directors of a company called the National Academy of Sports Medicine, arguably one of the top certifications in the world today. And I met Ian shortly after at an international NASM event, we instantly became extraordinary friends, and he is one of the greatest hands-on practitioners I have ever met. You know, a lot of people talk about theory and the research, empirical evidence, which is absolutely critical. What was unique about Ian is he was able to stand in front of a large group and say, okay, well, anybody have biomechanical issues? And he was able to pull them up and he was able to conduct a comprehensive assessment. He was able to get them moving and people would get off stage. And these are fitness professionals and they would have a dramatic reduction in pain and an improvement in mobility, function, neuromuscular control. And I was just amazed by his level of hands-on competency. And these guys together make an extraordinary team. Back in around 2008, 2009, we were three out of five co-founders of a company called Personal Training Academy Global or PTA Global for short. And it's grown now to be one of the top certifications in the world. It's really developing a strong presence in Asia. It's owned by the guy who used to own the National Academy of Sports Medicine, Neil Spruce. So this is a very long history, and I think these guys have a lot to offer. Just listen to what they have to say because their opinions and their strategies and directives 
come from many years of hands-on practical experience working in the trenches in their respective domain, helping people to get better. All right, well, hope you enjoy the podcast. Hey, boys, welcome. Hey, Bobby. Bobby, good to hear from you. How are you, champion? Always good to hear from you. All right, so I'm just going to like throw you like right into the fire, so to speak. There's a lot of conversation on my uh, social media thread about motivation and what it is uh, or what it should be, what it isn't. And some of the feedback that you get on these threads, and rightfully so, is, you know, you keep talking about motivation. You got to be motivated. You got to want it. But where do I go when I'm struggling with finding the source of my motivation where they kind of dispense it? Like, remember those old Pez candies? I know, like, the combined age of all of us on this is, like, I don't know, like, 863 years old. <laughs> but do you remember the old Pez candies? Millennials are probably listening to this going, what? Who, who's Pez? What's like, that? Yeah, he's the prime minister of where? No. But anyway. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> they used to have these these pads that used to dispense like one candy at a time. And it's kind of like almost we feel motivation has a source where if I go to the right coach or I watch the right tape, it'll be dispensed to me extemporaneously. You, know, you guys have been doing some really interesting stuff through SOMA and through years of, you know, not only research and development, but application, which is critical Talk to talk to us a little bit about the link between how you move physically and how you feel emotionally. Yeah, I think, well, first off, we learn most everything from you. So this is going to be like a vomit session on you. So, so that's, I just have you on here for my ego. Go on. That's, that's, that's always a good place to start. So, uh, you know, Bobby, that's, I think that's one of probably the, and this is something that I, truly, honestly, that we, we picked up and really learned and gleaned from you. I know personally I have. Um, so huge thanks and kudos to you. Uh, but that aside, the, the two, the, the, the motion and emotion connection, I think is so powerful and so underutilized and under misunderstood that it's it's not even funny anymore and when we're talking about emotion emotion it's it's always connected i think that's the thing that we have to really grab a hold of and very simply it's always connected and just just plain and simple if 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 your listeners are out there anyone who's listening to this if i just simply say to you i want you to show me anxiety just, just turn yourself into this anxious ball of glue right now. What is that? What is? What do you feel like? What do you look like? And interestingly enough, one hundred percent of the people, one hundred percent of the time, will replicate what someone who's anxious will look and feel like. I'm already there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and then to take that one step further, now. If you who are listening to this, if you're anxious, so just give me the anxious, you can already feel that something's happened in your shoulders, something's happened into your, your muscles, you can feel that things have changed. Now, 
wherever you are, just squat up and down three times in an extremely anxious mindset. And as you're doing that, the question I have is, how does that feel to you? Does it feel awesome? Does it feel smooth? Does it feel enjoyable? Or does it feel like it's grinding? Does it feel irritating? Does it feel stiff? And that's your answer. It doesn't, it's not any more complicated than that. There's research to support that, but we don't need that. We just need to realize that your emotional state, your feelings, your mindset will intimately show up in how you move. And conversely, how you move will also change how you feel. And that's how the two, it's a two-way street. One doesn't just do the other and the other not back. It, it's both ways. And that's about as simple as we can make it. And it, it's always that way. And so, Bobby, you know, and, and Ian, when we were at PTA Global, that's what we put into programming. And that was the biggest change is when someone is doing exercises that don't really match their style of movement, the way that they would like to move or prefer moving, depending on the context of the motion, whether it's an environment they're not comfortable with, around people they're not comfortable with, et cetera, et cetera. They will have a different movement experience because they will have a different feeling, a different emotional state. And that's the power of it. You give people a movement or exercise that maps to who they are, how they want to do it, especially based on the context or the environment that they're in. And you're going to create a much better feeling, a more relaxed state, a happier state, all of those things. You give them something that they don't want or they can't quite do. It's too complicated, too complex, or just too foreign to them based upon who's around or where they're at. And you're going to create a much more stressful situation to them. And that's also in research as well. And Bobby, Roddy just put that beautifully. I, I think I feel for what, what Soma has really taught us. I mean, our recent travels to China has really showed us now that that awareness that people don't have about themselves, the awareness that they of their breathing patterns, their awareness of their sleeping patterns, the awareness of their thought patterns, their awareness of their happiness patterns, all of this because it's all just patterns. And it's interesting because, as Roddy said, if they go into an environment, don't even move them. If they go into an environment where they don't feel like they're connected, like they're being listened to, like the person in front of them actually cares. I mean, you said you used to say it all the time beautifully. No one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's just, that rings in my soul and it has from day one. Well, I stole that from Zig Ziglar, to be fair, but thank you. Hey, hey, Matt, I don't care where you stole it from. The best part is... from Zig. <laughs> but we've got to keep people, we've got to keep the people understanding that it's not what we know that matters. It's how much people care about us. And that's why mm. we do this podcast is because we care for you, you care for us but we also care for the people that we're trying to help along the way. And, and I also begged quite a bit, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> I was harassing you on email. Good point, good point. It is a good point. But it's interesting because it's, it's, that, whole, it's that whole aspect now of if, if we can just 
get people to understand when, you know, if they sit in front of their computer, like I'm doing now, does that computer create an anxiousness? Does it create a happiness? Does it create something there that they can feel that their breathing's got shallow, that they feel relaxed and their breathing's actually into their diaphragm, into their pelvic floor? What does it do? Certain places, certain environments will drive certain responses which will create certain outcomes. And it's as simple as, as being aware of simple things like walking, breathing, sleeping, eating, all of these patterns. If we can become aware of that, we can now start to identify what the emotional outcome will be, which then will start to identify how our motion is going to look. I just want to stop you guys right there because you, you said a lot. And here, here's the takeaways that I'm getting. <clears throat> One, what we traditionally believe is counterintuitive. Or it can be in certain instances, counterintuitives. I hate absolutes. Yeah. Where, look, if I could just find out how to get motivated, well, then I can get moving. Well, mm. if you just got moving, mm. you would get motivated. Yes. So it's kind of like the opposite of that. The, the second thing that I hear you talking about is mindfulness. Now, mindfulness gets very confusing for a lot of people. They think, you know, it involves like really uncomfortable postures, mountaintops, and like a lot of granola and tofu. And it could, but essentially what mindfulness is, is your awareness of what is happening, when it is happening, and to what extent, and what's the effect on you. So, I, I mean, mindfulness applied to exercise could be something that, if I hear you correctly, it, the most important aspect is not are you doing this right, but is what you're doing. Now, there's always a concern for safety, but is what you're doing sustainable because it's inherently enjoyable? Do, do I understand you guys so far? Yeah, Bobby, that's beautifully said as always. And I think the, the, the key that you said there is that it, don't wait for motivation to propel you. Propel yourself and then you'll be motivated. And I think that's huge. If, you just, if someone just got out and started to walk, it doesn't mean that that's what you, you're going to end up doing. But until you do it, you may not know if that's something that you really enjoy doing. Yes. So try something, get up and, and, and do a walk. And then like, did, was it the environment that you were walking through? Was it because it was a neighborhood and it wasn't a park? So you start realizing that, oh, you know what? This isn't that bad. I kind of enjoy this. Or are you, are you doing a, a little home workout? Or are you doing a, a gym gig? Or where, where do you feel like being and what do you feel like doing? And I think the, one of the biggest things, the biggest aha moments for me was a few years ago, developing a presentation um, based upon this is looking at the guidelines for fitness and how we have these ungodly guidelines where you have to work out for 30 minutes a day, five days a week, just to be considered like halfway human. And then if you wanted to be like a fit human, it was like twice that much. But what if we just pull all the constraints away and say, hey, is there something I can do for five minutes? Not, not training to the guideline, but training to the enjoyment factor of something. What can I tolerate right now? What can I handle right now? Because Bobby, you know as well as any of us, 
the key to creating a habit, which is the perpetuation of motivation, is baby steps. What's the smallest dose that I can do that I will be able to replicate more than once? And then if I can do that, now I can start figuring out where can I change this? You know what? I don't like doing dumbbells. I want to do a TRX or I don't like, I can switch. Then you can start modifying. But your point, I think, Bobby, is probably the hugest point that we should be talking about is move first, motivate follows. Yeah, and pay attention. I mean, when you, when you talk to multiple people that we've had on this podcast so far and people we're going to have, uh, one of the people who has agreed to come on this podcast is uh, Lisa Stevenson out of Melbourne. And she is, she's a world-class coach. And when she talks about what attributes in a person most account for are the greatest predictors of, of not being quote unquote successful, but being happy and fulfilled, which, which I think is a little bit less ambiguous. It's more personal. It's probably more important um, for a lot of reasons. She says it's curiosity and resilience. And I love that. And to me, someone who's curious gets out there, engages, tests, they experiment and, and curiosity combined with mindfulness starts to give you a blueprint of what you gravitate toward that pulls you in toward it by merits of the activity itself versus you having to push yourself all the time. And and movement and challenge and struggle is actually exciting. It's Mm -hmm. motivating. You know, we don't enjoy anything that we don't have to struggle or it doesn't challenge us. I mean, all right, maybe there's exceptions to that. I mean, you know, I've, I've seen a few films where I enjoyed them, but I didn't feel particularly challenged sitting there in, in the uh, theater. <laughs> but for the most part, people avoid struggle and challenge because it's imposed upon them. So what they're, what they're really pushing back against is the imposition of change not the work in and of itself. So if you're anxious or if you're worried or if you're feeling a little bit sad in a particular day, the best thing to do is get out and move. And the worst thing to do is ruminate in the same pattern and environment that's producing that in the first place. So th- th- there, there's, a lot, there's a lot that you're saying there. I, I, I love it. Would you give us a, a couple of examples of certain movements, and I, this is the first time this has ever come up because this is a very unique conversation, but a couple of movements that people can do regardless of their level of fitness, regardless of their goals, that can kind of help them identify ways in which movement can shift emotional state. Does that make sense? Bobby, before you do that, can I just ask a question? Because you made a really powerful statement about curiosity. The curiosity curiosity for me now is what I'm seeing with my clients. People are frightened to be curious. And the reason they're frightened, they haven't been given permission, but the reason they're frightened is because of their language. And we're seeing it now more and more in children with learning difficulties. They're not wanting to be curious because the language we use with children is good or bad, wrong or right. No one wants to be curious and be wrong. So we've got people out there who... We want to get curious about moving again to change their emotional state or to be happy to get moving, yet they haven't been given permission because now what society says is if you don't move the right way or if you don't exercise the right 
time or if you aren't the right body shape or whatever. What are your thoughts on that? Oh, wow. You know, a lot of... This, this takes me back to Fiji, actually, <laughs> when we all went out there with the IOM team to present. And a word that was thrown around a lot was growth mindset. You have to have a growth mindset. And this was said so many times to the audience. And, you know, we use that phrase a lot. But normally when we say you have to have a growth mindset, I think what a lot of people, whether, whether um, deliberately or unintentionally are saying is a growth mindset is a mindset that reflects my mindset. <laughs> so you need to come over to my way of thinking because growth is good and not growing well, bad. Where if you really take a look at where that phrase came from, it came from the research of Carol Dweck. And it's interesting because she found exactly what you're saying, Ian, the same way you've discovered it, working with people and experimenting, in this case, children. And they took groups of children and had them go through mathematical problems that were pretty challenging. One group of kids were praised on their innate qualities, one of them being intellect. And we do this all the time. We do this with people. We do this with kids. And a lot of times it's well-meaning where, oh, my God, you're so smart. And we think, well, that's a really great self-esteem builder. With the other group of kids, they were praised on effort and behaviors. Wow, you worked so hard on that particular problem. And then they were given new sets of problems to solve with equal levels of difficulty. And what they found was the kids who were praised on innate attributes quit. They lacked resilience where the, the kids who persevered in solving these mathematical problems were the ones who were praised on specific behaviors. Because if my whole identity is based on being smart, well, then the world shows up, as you said, Ian, as smart versus not smart. And if smart is something that I attribute to good, well, if I'm not smart, then I must be bad. So there's a high risk there in engaging in something where I feel challenged because what if I can't do it? Where the other kids, their identity wasn't rooted in any innate attribute, but rather what they did behaviorally in a given context, like work ethic. So at that point, just, just engaging and persevering reinforced the self-image that all that praise was creating. Now imagine that stuff compounding, these are kids, compounding over years and decades. So I, I, I think that's a very valid point. Yeah, love it, thanks Mike. And that's, and that's what I'm saying, that's what we're seeing now. You know, you asked an amazing question about you know, motivation. Well, realistically, we've got to change the language and we've got to change the relationship with ourselves. We, we talk about relationships and listening and caring and compassion and all these words that are beautiful, we talk about them to other people, but we don't talk about them to ourselves. And it's really important that we give ourselves the permission just to do something. Now, you're going to ask another great question about a movement that will change emotion. Let's just get to the basis of just do something and let's feel what's happening when you do that. Yes. Because if we do, that's when the curiosity now starts to, it starts to, it starts to bubble up inside. Don't judge the outcome ask the question, wow, I did that and that's what I felt. Hmm, I wonder how I could change that. Here, here's a funny story. I was doing sales training across a corporation and one of the things, it, 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 like 
there's dogma in every industry. And I think sometimes dogma starts off with a good intention and, and a very rational intention. Like somebody says something and it makes perfect sense given the context, but after a while it gets passed on with so much emotion and acceptance and, and it gets diluted that we don't even know why we believe what we believe. And one of the things that sales trainers were saying was, you got to get over the fear of rejection. Have you ever heard that before? <laughs> Just get over it. Now, first of all, your entire brain is wired to be sensitive to rejection because, I mean, obviously, if you get rejected now, you have a mental breakdown, but then, you know, you feel like I'm just going to unfriend you and I'll go join another group on Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> and it's like, you know, problem solved where... If you got rejected like 15,000 years ago, that was a, what they're trying to say when they banish you from the tribe, which is basically ultimate rejection, is we don't want to take the time and effort to kill you because we got a lot of stuff to do. So we're just going to banish you and you know, let nature take care of that within 24 hours for us. So you're so hardwired to avoid rejection, but here we come in front of the room and say, you just got to get over rejection. So I was working with this lady who's really smart. She said, you know, there's no way people will get over rejection just by being told to get over rejection. No more Bobby, than... Bobby, was she, was she smart or was she persistent? Oh, boy, was she persistent. Okay. Um, but she was, I, I, think she was, I think she was both. I think she was smart by nature and persistent um, by conditioning and... Um, I don't know, uh, sadism. So no, but she, she was amazing. It's just, we gotta can, we've got to create different reference points and frame things in people's mind where they have choices on how they interpret things. Yep. So one of the things she had us do is play the rejection game. And we, we went to Boston. Now, this is a woman who comes from Northern California and everybody is like really sweet to each other. And you know, I don't know if Eric agrees with this. He's, he's listening in the background. And, and it's a different world than being in Boston. Like, I'm from New York. New York, Boston, it's pretty similar. So we walk into a pizzeria. It was the only thing open at, uh, about 10 o'clock at night in this neighborhood. And there's a guy behind the counter, and he's just massive. He's got huge muscles. He's got tattoos everywhere, shaved heads, a couple of pier well, actually, just one shaved head, yeah. multiple piercings. Yeah, yeah. Two-headed muscular guy. Stuff gets weird up, up there, doesn't it? So yeah, it does. <laughs> she said, I want, you to, I want you to walk over to that guy, and I want you to order a pizza. I'm like, okay, fair enough. And then she said, but then I want you to ask him to, t to cut a pineapple into 10 perfectly shaped squares and line them up in a straight line running horizontal. Not, not vertical, horizontal across the plate. I was like, you're going to get me hospitalized tonight. I don't <laughs> think you realize what you're asking. This is Northern California where some stoner's like, dude. It's like, so I'm like, all right, fair enough. I'm playing the rejection game. And I go over to this guy and I say exactly that. Now, he looks at me, not with anger or frustration, but complete and utter confusion. He goes, yeah, hold on a minute. I know that's a New York accent, but I can't do a Boston one. So he goes in the back, and all of a sudden, he brings two people out with him. Like, he's completely confused. He's like, all right, so what do you want? And I explained it again. He just looks at me and just walks away. So I'm like, yeah, I, I, 
I guess he wasn't keen. So we're sitting down in the pizzeria, and we don't even know what we're doing there. And a little while later, he comes out with the pizza and the plate of pineapple. I was like, wow, that's, that, that's pretty interesting. And <laughs> then we went to another place the next day and had this big sign on the window, no outside food or drink. She's like, all right, I want you to walk in there and ask them if we could bring outside food and drink. And there's a couple of lessons to take away from this. And f- first of all, what you think is going to happen and what you imagine negatively you're going to experience is not always aligned with reality. You know, number two, you're pleasantly surprised very often if you just engage first, experiment and have a little bit of fun in life and don't try to tell yourself a story based on past experiences as if somehow past experiences are predictors of future possibilities because they're, they're really not. And it doesn't matter if things go well or poorly. If you create enough experiences, you have multiple reference points now to choose from. And that gives you a little bit of behavioral flexibility. Yeah, and don't go eat with her anymore. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I learned that a long time ago. <laughs> No, that's great. That's great. <clears throat> and so, you know, you asked Bobby about um, what, what, what are some movements that people can do? Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's probably two simple ways to go about it. One may be a little bit more um, thought-provoking. The other one is pick one. I mean, one, pick one. Just, just, pick, just randomly pick a movement. Um, whether, whether it's – and, and I, I say this because I've, I've had a client who um, – was telling me a story about kind of what, what she was doing or what she did. And she was, she just got tired of sitting because she, she, she has a little bit of pain. She goes through some pain. That's a lot of the clients that I deal with. And she was just getting tired because we were getting some rain. So I live in Northern California. We've been having a lot of rain. And she said, I just, I just got up off my chair and I just started walking in place and I was watching TV. Now I didn't want to leave because what I was watching was kind of interesting, but I didn't want to sit down. So she just started walking in place. And she said, you know what, after about 30 seconds, I said, wow, this is kind of cool. I kind of like that. And so you, and you could, if you watched her facial expressions, you could see how she just started lighting up like there was just surprise. Well, it was a curiosity. I'm just, it was almost a subconscious curiosity because she said, I'm going to do something, but I don't want to deviate from what I'm actually interested in, but I need to change what's happening while I'm doing what I'm doing. And she just started walking. So she just picked something. I'm just going to, I'm just going to get up and walk because I can move, but I'm still staying in front of my television so I can see something. And she actually enjoyed that. So she ended up walking for the whole show. And I think it was 30 something minutes is what it was. It was total for her. But if you could do that for 30 minutes, just walk in place, how much benefit could you get out of something like that, that you wouldn't have otherwise? Well, I think the key word there is enjoyment. Because exactly. like we talked about habit formation and anything you do consistently enough, long enough is going to form into a habit. But if you want to expedite that, what yeah. drives habit formation is dopamine. Dopamine, the striatum, infralimbic system, and midbrain is your circuitry for habit formation. The more enjoyable something is, the faster that's going to become a hardwired neural network in the brain. Perfect segue. And that's... And that's where going back to what we did at PTA Global was creating your style. Find out what you, what kind of things do you prefer doing? Do you want something that is 
that is very that has variance to it or you want something that's a little bit more repetitious do you want something that has more adventure to it or you want something that's extremely practical what do you like to have and by doing that then you can see well you know i don't want to walk in front of my television because that might be a little bit too simple basic or not stimulating enough but maybe what i want to do is dance a little bit in front of my television yeah you're still in front of the tv you're still doing your thing but how you're moving going back to what ian was talking about earlier how you're moving now is more stimulating to you which going back to your segue that's an enjoyment factor i don't like walking but i certainly will dance i love to dance so you know we know that the brain processes things in in two primarily different ways one is a much more a uh, cognitive version, one's a little bit more esoteric, where the, there, there's much more emotive, whether it's through terminology or whether it's through action. And you may be someone who likes to move with a little bit more adventure, a little bit more pizzazz, so to speak. You want things to be a little bit more uh, variant in how the movement occurs. And then on the other hand, there's people out there who we want to move more in line more linear we want to keep it something that we can understand that's practical it's not overly complex with a lot of things going on it's just a real simple movement but that's what brings us enjoyment so if we can pick mm -hmm. kind of where we are on that and that's our starting base then we can start eliminating things that i don't want to do and we've seen that i mean we we use that for years and i've used that with my clients i know ian has there's people who don't want to do barbell curls in front of a mirror they, that just turns them off, and you can just see it. Shut. I think that's a little bit weird. Yeah. <laughs> but Dude, I think having thighs for biceps is a little bit weird. <laughs> Those are his hamstrings, bro. That's not his biceps. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> so I think from that standpoint, you know, putting, putting what you – we're just talking about what you've been talking about for 20 years now, putting that into a practicality is let's figure out where the styles of someone are. What is your style? And if you can come up with your style and then apply movement patterns to that, whether you're in the gym, whether you're in a park, whether you're taking a walk, mm -hmm. then you have the ability to start honing in on things that create more enjoyment. And that's where you're decreasing the anxiety, you're decreasing the stress you place upon yourself. And instead of it being an arduous thing, it's an enjoyable. Yeah, you know, when I was putting together the PDQ, and, and thank you for the name, by the way, because I had this questionnaire, and people were like, well, what's it called? I don't know. It's a questionnaire. I'm not in charge of the marketing department, man, but <laughs> you, you, you package that really well. And when I was sitting there and, and thinking about, well, what are we trying to get at here? I thought, it's hard to just come out and ask people direct questions. <clears throat> One, because people are so busy sometimes just going through the, the motions basically they're on autopilot based on everything they've done or believed or thought they should believe that that's a that's a deep dive to do for somebody and sometimes it takes a while to get there other times i've always assumed well people lie and they don't lie because they're liars they're not even aware they're lying um you know they're telling themselves stories but they have stories about their stories and it comes from what, again, what they told, they've been told that they should believe or think. And I'm like, it, 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 how do you help someone navigate 
through the muddy waters of their own intentions and natural inclinations. And I thought, well, what are they already doing? Like, like, what do their behaviors reveal? Because people say certain things, but then when behaviors contradict words, go by what people are doing, not by what they're saying. Right. You know, for like, my wife is a filmmaker. If I said to her at any point, even if she was busy and she had a ton of work tonight, hey, you want to go see this film? I wouldn't have to persuade her. I wouldn't have to, you know, have a premeditated pitch in advance. I wouldn't have to compel her in any way because she loves film. She would go instantly. So, so that's an environment and, and that's a medium of communication that speaks to her and it draws her in. So where, where do people spend their time? You know, what's their first memory or positive memory of physical activity? You know, what is it that people love to do recreationally, but, but they don't really equate that with exercise? Exactly. Like many people say, well, I don't really exercise, but I love to go dancing. Well, you don't think that that's exercise? You know, and if you can identify what it is you do, that you don't have to be persuaded threatened or manipulated to do a lot of times that reveals what you innately enjoy and it's a very good starting point to build from exactly totally agree my friend and that's you know i was, I was going to say before bobby i think what i've what i've loved about the journey that we've all been down and i think what you and rodney do beautifully is Let's define the words. Let's because we've got all these buzzwords out there. We've got a language out there, but let's mm. define the words so that we're all understanding what we want to do. And that's exactly right. You know, my first, my very first experience with exercise was with horses and dogs. You know, you were always running and chasing and playing, and that's it's interesting because now when you know if we go somewhere and someone's got a dog and that dog wants to you know, go for a walk, I say to him, don't just take him for a walk, let him off the leash and actually play with him because that's going to create, you know, different levels of intensity. It's going to create variation of the tissue. It's going to create connection of not only your mind, but your heart and your soul and your gut. It, it's, it's just one of the best ways to exercise. So defining exercise is not just about, you know, something that you do intentionally that has to be a consciousness exercise is about allowing the body to do what it does in an enjoyable environment that challenges it on many levels and allows you to create a regeneration of healthy tissue, healthy being, healthy happiness. I love that. Sadly, I have a 13-year-old Shih Tzu, so that doesn't work. <laughs> I got a one-year-old Shih Tzu. They're amazing. I mean, there's my a shit, lot of fun. They, my shits are, are never dirty. <laughs> 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 my dog doesn't walk anymore. He shuffles and whimpers, basically. There's this thing called movement, Bobby. Have you ever thought about giving him some? I try. He's just not coming along for the ride. Either. Not motivated. He's He's not not motivated. I have to stick a treat in my pocket and walk ahead of him just to get him to move a little bit faster. Talk about manipulation. I would suggest that that dog's got a great motivation. He's actually far smarter than what we are. <laughs> yeah, he's trained me. <laughs> so in, in honor of one of our co-founders, um, Scott Hobson, you know, he, used to, uh, he used to do this exercise, this debriefing exercise, after every workshop that we used to do. Do you remember the best, worst, and most surprising? Cannot ever forget that, mate, yes. <laughs> yeah, I love that. So since you've been doing SOMA, 
Yeah. And it's, it's not only you learn a lot about trainers and you, and you teach a lot, but you start to learn about, I, I, I always did, patterns of behavior and some fundamental concerns that seem to be pretty, pretty common with a lot of clients. What have you been learning from some of your top trainers since you've been doing SOMA? And, and what have you learned about the mentality of most people who are successful or trying to successfully implement healthy habits? What's been the best? What's been the worst thing you've learned? And what's been the most surprising? Well, let's start off. I'm a positive person. So let's start off with the best. The beautiful thing that, that SOMA has brought to the marketplace is the effectiveness of it. And the feedback that we get from the people who are implementing SOMA into not only their clients' lives, but their own lives has been outstanding. And, and Bobby, you know, I had this conversation with Rod last week. We've both got a couple of interesting clients at the moment. Um, I've got a client who was paralyzed from the neck down five days after she was, uh, was deemed pregnant from an influenza. And uh, she's been working with me now for around about five weeks. And the results that we've got from just giving her the Soma philosophy has just been phenomenal. Now, the interesting thing is she's a doctor of neuroscience. She's 35. She had a PhD at 24. Now, you know, it's interesting. That's my story. But the stories that are coming back from the coaches have been phenomenal because there's very similar stories. And it's, it's the stories now from an array of different types of clients, not just the client who's coming with the bulging disc anymore, but we're getting these people with differences that the industry seems to be bringing to us. So SOMA's one of those, one of those amazing systems that is actually creating a self-care, self-management outcome. That's been the best. What's been the worst? I guess the worst is the fact that a lot of coaches and trainers aren't aware of themselves. And then our industry now is plagued with people who are in the industry trying to help people, yet they're in worse states than what their clients are. And it's not until they actually come and, and have face-to-face -face immersion with us that they actually get to become aware of how poor their tissue is responding and, and actually what their gut, what their heart, what their mind, what everything is doing. So that's what's been really surprising for me is, is that seeing those two best and worst, the surprising thing is the industry isn't really, for me, getting to the numbers of people that we need to to get the outcomes that we need because our own self-awareness isn't allowing us to then take the power of SOMA and apply it into the industry to see how this could now so simply roll out to give people solutions in regeneration, solutions in happiness, and solutions in quality of life. Hmm. Okay. And what, 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 and what's been the most surprising? That, that's, that for me is the most surprising is the fact that our industry at the moment, I, I mean, I've, I've not seen our industry as fragmented as it is now. So why do you, why do you think that? Because I feel the same way, um, like Rod, Ian, anyway, why do you think that is? I believe, I really believe now that what's happened is that we've created such confusion in, and I don't mean we, I mean the industry's created such confusion because 
of the language we speak. And it's, it's an interesting thing because I've got people coming into me now and I pride myself in being a good communicator and yet I'm finding I'm having to now regress back my communication skills to even make it more simplistic so that they can actually have this, this ease of communication, this ease of conversation. And as I said before, it's the fact that, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to use words where, that, for instance, I had this lady come in before Christmas and she came in and, you know, she's about 62 or three, lovely lady, very positive. You know, I'm thinking, you know, what are you really here for? And she said, I want to get strong. And the first thing that pops into your mind is what? That she wants to, you know, lift some weights and get strong. Well, you know, taking the brilliance that you've allowed me to, to, to learn from you, Bobby and, and Roddy, and, and I said, could you just define what strong means to you? And she said, I want to be heard. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, Bobby, that, that you know, even now, even for me to verbalise that, really it sends a shiver down my spine because it shows... It shows that we've got to really, we've got to stop and listen and connect to people. But to connect to people, we've got to actually speak the same language. And the most surprising thing is I feel now and I'm witnessing now and observing now through the travelling that Rod and I are doing, through the conversations that you're having, we're having, is that we're, we're failing to give the outcomes or solutions to people because we're not all speaking a language that we understand. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't think it's not only that we're not speaking a language to one another that we understand. I think our own internal dialogue yes. sometimes is not understood by us because we don't challenge it. We don't question it. There, there's no semantic exercise. I mean, you, you'll, you'll hear, like, if you go through a feed on social media, and you use that to kind of like take a temperature about where a certain group of people's at – you'll have things like hustle, grind, and it's just like, um, you know, work for it. And you'll have all these, that nothing is impossible. You know, I've been trying to be six feet tall for ages now. I think I've been putting in enough work into it, but I I just don't think that's going to happen for me. And, And I don't think anybody ever stops to say, well, what do I mean by that? Or in what context yeah. Because it's just, this is what effective people think. And if you're not on this side, you're ineffective. This is what good people believe. So if yeah. you don't believe this, you're not good, you're bad. It, go, it goes back to that whole dichotomy yeah. between right versus wrong. And, and nobody really evaluates. They, they just kind of follow whatever, wherever their affiliations take them, so right. to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a bird, by the way, Ian? Do I have a bird? Is that a bird in the background? Mate, there's kookaburras, magpies, there's rosellas. Ooh, the kookaburras you're hearing back there, buddy. I can hear it's them. Like, it's like we were talking about Roy. Kookaburras were motivation. He had like a whole bird, like, like he was in like a bird sanctuary. I was like, are they a bird sale in like Australia? <laughs> yeah. it's no, so you know what it's like here. There's, there's, there's activity all the time. The, the kookaburra start at 4.30 in the morning and then they go for about three minutes. They stop and next minute the rosella will start and, you know, it'll start to change as the days become uh, darker. You know. God. What people, what people don't know is they based the film Jurassic Park on Noosa. True story. <laughs> <laughs> so, Rod, I'd like to hear some of your insights around yeah. that. 
the good, good, bad, or good, worse, and, and most surprising. So the, the good Bobby with Soma, from my standpoint, has been the, the simplistically powerful replication that, is, that has been able to be achieved with Soma because it's a simple process. And as Ian said, we des designed it, developed it to be a self-management tool, to empower people to walk away with something that not only changes them, but in our courses, through the course, allows them to help other people change. Mm -hmm. And then hearing and seeing firsthand how other people are doing that with other people. So... That's been, that's been awesome. That's been the best thing because, and, and that, that, that ties into, I think something that I'll mention real quick in a minute about the industry. The, the worst is the, sometimes you're at the, ahead of the wave, you're ahead of the curve and you're not speaking the buzzwords. You're not speaking the kind of the language that the industry's hearing at the moment. <laughs> yeah. And, and so it doesn't, it doesn't have a catch. It, it, you know, we're, we're all about the catchphrase, just like you were saying, grind and, and drive and go and move. And do. And that's, that's not where the Soma fits in. Um, and that's part of the, the, the worst A, worst B is that, the industry doesn't know really where it's at and what it's what it's capable in the holding. You know what what its continuum is. There's a continuum, and I'm a, I'm a continuum guy. You are. You are. We the industry feeds on a certain aspect of the continuum that is usually fast and sexy and 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 heavy and. And all, and that's where it, it feeds, which is great because the body needs to be there, but not all the time. And so where Soma fits in is we've positioned it to be at the foundational component of the continuum where if you don't use it, you lose it. So if you're not, and, and Bob, you know, this goes back to NESM. This was the brilliance behind the OPT model at NESM is there was different phases of training to attack and attach different adaptations to the body because it has different responses based upon the different tissues and how they work. Mm -hmm. And NASM is a prominent um, global certification that personal trainers um, get qualified through. It's, it's also where me and Rodney uh, used to be directors. For people listening to this going, NASM, what, who's that? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Was that a space station somewhere? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've been there. It's very nice. Got a souvenir. <laughs> <laughs> um, the most surprising about the whole Soma experience has been the, the connection factor that Ian talked about is seeing how when people are engaged both in the workshop and then to themselves. So the work, the engagement of the workshop itself, but then the engagement of them within the workshop and how that connection has massively changed people. I mean, massively changed people on the spot. There's an instant, 
almost an instant awareness of what I wasn't doing, what I can do, where I can go. It's like the shift that you see, not in everybody, but I would say, I would say a good 70% of the people that come through our workshops that we've seen to this point, the shift in their, and I'll use awareness for lack of better terms in, in realizing that I had no clue about that. I now have a clue about that. And then the result of how they feel physically and mentally, emotionally, solically, how they feel based upon that. That's been a surprise that we kind of talked about, but it was like, whoa, I didn't, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. I think most, a lot of people, not most, but by far not most, but some people are striving for something a little bit more individualized, a little bit more comprehensive. It's, it's almost like social media has connected us to such a degree that people are desperate for connection. Exactly. You know, or, well or, or, or when the uh, Betamax or the VHS came out, they said, oh, this is going to destroy cinema. Nobody's going to go to the movies. Movies became an event. It actually helped the film industry because when you, when you have such a shift and there's things that are included, there's things that are beneficial, but there's also going to be things that are missing by default every time. And I think that makes a lot of people say, well, this doesn't work for me. This is just too superficial, too universal. I want something deeper. I want something more specific and I want tools so I can share this. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you, you're talking about the industry and, and why is the industry kind of in a fragmented state? And, and I think there's two things. One, I think the industry doesn't realize it's in a fragmented state. I think within the industry realize that it's kind of fragmented, but I don't think the industry as a whole realizes it's fragmented. And that's part of the issue. There's, there's a, there's a complete lack of awareness in what's actually happening within the industry what is the purpose of the industry and what's the intention behind the industry? And I, and I don't know if all of that and the attitude, I don't know if all of that is actually congruent because if you going back to your, your statement earlier, if you hear what someone wants to do when you see what they're doing and that's incongruent, we've got a situation and that's exactly what the industry is. If you listen to what people are saying, but you see what's happening, it's completely different right now. And I think that's where a lot of the problem lies. And the industry doesn't really know what it consists of. And, you know, Bobby, this, this goes back to conversations we had a long time ago when we started PTA Global and the other certification company that we are part of and, and Ian and is there is a continuum of education that fits into, for lack of better terms, more specific categories than others. So everyone has education and they can fit into certain areas on the continuum, but nobody wants to say, this is kind of where we fit in a little better. So many people are trying to fit into every area because they want to do everything. So you got everybody wanting, kind of wanting to do everything in a very generalistic statement. That's not everyone, but you got a lot of people who are trying to do almost everything or as much as they could possibly do. And I almost think by default, that means you're not really doing anything really well 
You're just doing yeah. a lot of things. And it confuses the consumer. I mean, I, people yeah. are listening to this right now that might not belong to gyms or they might have had a negative experience in gyms. Mm-hmm. And if you don't understand your offering, you know, good luck expecting someone coming into your environment to get it. A great example of this is years ago, I was working for, with a major health club chain and we were doing a day event. And I'm, I'm not going to mention this health club chain. They're, they're, they're actually great, by the way, in a, in a lot of respects. Mm-hmm. But I had a room of about 70 fitness managers. And the complaint was, I don't think people understand what the value is in personal training. Right. And they were saying this over and over. And rather than me getting on my soapbox and say, hey, I got an idea, guys. I think I, I even told you about this shortly after, Rod. I said, you know, why don't you guys take a piece of paper just rip it off. And I want you to write the answer to personal training is complete, complete that statement for me. Right. And here's, here's this basket, took some papers that passed it around, put it in the basket and everybody put their responses in the basket. And in a room of over 70 fitness managers, like this is your domain. You own this department. I think we got two like-minded answers out of the entire room. Everybody else was just all over the shop. And it's like, they don't understand the value. Mm -hmm. That's that's that is an audacious expectation where in a room of not even fitness professionals, but the leadership team Mm -hmm. isn't even getting this. Mm -hmm. We cannot even crystallize what it is we do and why it's important. How do we then communicate it? And then how do we expect people to comprehend it? Yeah. <sighs> and I think that's just where we're at. And, you know, what we're, Ian and I are really trying to do is Soma has a position in the industry that is an adjunct to everything that everyone else does. It's a component of we're not the end all be all. We don't do everything. But what we do is extremely powerful and effective, but it's not better than what Greg Roscoff does. It's not better than what IOM does. It's not better than Gary, it's not better than, it is different and we can tell you, here's where we fit on the continuum, here's why we fit on the continuum, and here's what that means, here's what it looks like on the continuum. And I think if everyone would get to a point where they would be honest enough to evaluate and say, this is where we believe we sit and we fit and this, then we would start creating a story that now can be told to the consumer, to everyone that's out there. And I think, you know, does that happen? I, I, man, I would love to hear that happen. I'd love to see that happen, but it takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of understanding. It takes a lot of honesty and it takes the desire to truly collaborate. And this is a word you and I that we've all used, I don't know how many hundreds of times, but collaboration is a word that's used a lot, but rarely is it ever done a lot. Oh, I'd love to work with you guys. And then nothing ever happens. And, and you know, it's a, it's a tough gig unless you truly know where you are, where you sit, where you fit, and how you can con- contribute to and help other people's information be better and how their information can help you be better. Well, I, I think there's a lot of scarcity 
based mentality where if I, if I collaborate with somebody, you know, what, what if they have something more powerful than what I have? What if they take a percentage of my market from me? Right. And if you, and I'm not really sure that people are that explicit in their intentions. I think more implicitly we're influenced by a world of influencers. So the info, it's the age of the influencer. Like people have extraordinary followings, you know, half a million, one, two million people. And to be fair, some of these people have a lot of value. They communicate very simplistically and they are inspiring. Um, and, and they do seem to encourage and draw from expertise and past experiences. But other people uh, just communicate based on the fact that they've gotten really good at marketing themselves. And, and, you know, how do you now look at that as someone who is like, I've got to be an influencer, a lot of fitness professionals, or as someone who's a consumer, well, this person knows what they're talking about. Look, they have an amazing body. And that, we're going back to that now. Like in the right. 1990s, right. the trainer with the best body absolutely knew the most but when you talk to them no they don't even even though a lot of times they got to where they were in spite of their knowledge not because of it and you would see trainers hurting people quite seriously in the gym because it was based on interpretation of my own experience rather than empirical evidence i i see us going back to that yeah that's instagram i think you just you just kind of you you just throw out that's what instagram is about it's you know, it's, it's butts and boobs and it's abs and it's the same things that we saw in the gym. Now we're seeing in a worldwide global level because of the internet, because of social media, because of that. And I think if, if people, you know, if there's a lot of people who are younger on this and they don't know what it was like in the last century, when, when in the, you know, in the eighties and nineties, when we didn't have all this stuff, that's what, that's how I started. I mean, Bobby, you and I started like that. We started personal training because we were juiced to the hilt and we were shredded and we had people who wanted to look like us and, and that's how it was. And that's the same virtual thing that we're seeing now. And if we could caution yep. people, don't go by what somebody looks like or how many people they have in their following. That doesn't necessarily give you the whole story and that doesn't necessarily it doesn't mean that they're wrong it doesn't mean that they're bad it doesn't mean that they're it just take it with a grain of salt and realize that there may be more to the story there may be more to programming there may be more to exercise and if it doesn't necessarily feel right to you then you should be curious enough to explore are there other options is there something else mm-hmm. and then yeah, or contact uh, bobby capuccio I mean, you'll see somebody and they'll write this really insightful and inspiring uh, message, you know, uh, uh, about life and, and, and virtue. And, and it's like, you look at the picture, it's a picture of their bottom. And it's like, you got all of that from your ass? That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's unreal. And there's this one influencer who's, um, she's a model, but also, you know, a, a health and wellness coach. And she said, well, I'm level four qualified. And I was like, okay, well, okay, that, that makes sense. So I get excited and I message this person. I was like, well, who are you qualified with? And if you don't mind me asking, just for selfish reasons, what made you choose one organization versus another? And, and what came back was, well, 
I think my greatest qualification is personal experience. And I've, I learned more from my clients than I will ever teach them. All right, fair. I agree with that. But in a roundabout way, she was like, I don't have a qualification. And it's like, well, you know, I'm not saying personal experience is meaningless. There's a lot of times it's very useful, but it's got to be weighed against empirical evidence and proven scientific practices because there is so much psycho, bio, and biological individuality. What worked for you might not be appropriate for somebody else, and it might actually be um, a bit harmful to somebody else in in the, the wrong context. So it's kind of interesting to watch this dynamic unfold. Let let me me just ask you this about SOMA. Tell us what SOMA is, like like simply, and why you chose the name SOMA. Yeah. So simplistically, SOMA is a self-empowering regenerative health solution. And when we say regenerative health, it means bringing the tissues, bringing you as a person to a level that's, above where you currently are right now, mentally, emotionally, physically. And we do that through the self-empowering engagement tools of, of uh, osteofascial release, self-myofascial release, fascial mobilizers, what we call functional reconnecting. So we have different applications. But the premise is to give you a tool and a technique that allows you to help your body move, feel, and live better. That's the bottom line. The, the name Soma, there's two parts to it. One, it's, it's the Greek word for body. And two, it's the acronym for self-osteomyofascial applications because that's what these are about. The key being self. This is about giving people something that they can do, not having to be reliant upon someone doing it for them. And the osteomyofascial is because of what Ian and I have put together, it's we know, we know now that it's no longer just about the muscular tissue, which is where myo comes from. Myofascial is the muscles and the connective tissue. It's the osteo component or the bony areas that also have all the fascial tissue around them that can be freed and manipulated. So we know that there's so many, there's so much more information now about myofascial pain syndrome and how the tissues of the body can actually be perpetuating, promoting, and even masking uh, I shouldn't say masking can be uh, producing these symptoms in areas of the body, like the hip and the back and the knee, and that are that people are thinking, "I have a bad back, or I have a bad knee, or I have to get surgery, or I need medication." When it's really coming from a soft tissue, and there's more and more research coming out showing the soft tissue component about that. So we want to just help people. The applications are the four main applications that we use to help people address that tissue. And when we address that tissue and we do it properly, that we can create a change in how the body is able to move, which produces a better feeling for the person, how the body feels, how they feel, which is how they live. We can change how they live. And that's what a tagline is, move, feel, live better. And that's, that's Soma pretty much in a nutshell. I love it. And, and where can people contact you guys? They can go to the website at www.feelsoma.com. And they can 
contact us through the contact button and we'd be more than happy to give them information. We have events and workshops and we're open to people who are looking for some workshops and looking for very simple but very powerfully practical applications that they can give either to themselves or that they can give to their, if they're from a club or they know people that are in clubs or, or facilities, uh, doesn't have to be fitness. It can be allied health professionals, whether it's physical therapists or massage therapists, just give them another tool in their toolbox to, to have from a, a workshop standpoint, a training standpoint. And we really right now we're, are trying to keep this as a live component because it really takes the feeling of it, the mentoring through it to show you how these techniques need to be done and what happens if you don't do them a certain way, you just don't get the same outcome. Yeah. I, I, I definitely understand the value in that, especially in, in not just that, but in creating culture. I think live is, again, it falls into that category of as we start to lose face-to-face -face experiences, we tend to covet them a little bit more. Remember the days when we were like live workshops are done. Yep. You know, social media is going to destroy live workshops. Actually, creates more of a demand for them in, in, in certain sectors. Boys, thank you so much. I get so much value uh, every time yeah. that we talk about this stuff, and I'm sure our listeners will as well. Really appreciate you being on the podcast. Likewise, Bobby. Thank you so much. Love you. Thank you. Thank you for your time, Bobby. As always, mate, you're uh, one of the most inspirational people that uh, are in our lives, mate. We love you with all our hearts and uh, thank you for doing what you are doing, not just for the industry, but for everyone that you come in contact with, mate. Thanks, OJ. Ditto. Thanks for listening to this episode of Transformation Unplugged. Our affiliate partner for this episode is Coached. That's C-O-A-C-H-D. If you download their app or go to their website and choose to work with one of their world-class coaches, they're offering all listeners of this podcast a 20% discount. All you got to do is use the code Transformation Unplugged. See you on the next episode.